Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all today. It really is. It's a beautiful day. It's good to be. Great worship experience this morning. And we get to go into this moment today that's very unique. Rhonda Cup, will you please come up on stage? This is Rhonda. She is our secretary, office coordinator, office administrator, uh, administrative assistant. Um, what, what, what did I miss? Was there another one? This and that. She does everything. She has done everything around here. And uh, Rhonda's only professional career from the time that she was 18 years old has been being a church office administrator. All right. That's pretty amazing. She was here from the beginning of Community Church. She's done everything. She's been part of everything. And uh, Rhonda, I want to uh, just give you an opportunity to say this is her retirement, by the way. And uh, so, round of applause for that. Rhonda, say whatever, not whatever you want to say, but say whatever you think is appropriate. Oh, gosh. Scott asked me Thursday if I wanted to say something, and I thought, oh, dear. Um, there's not too many 18-year-old kids who graduate high school who are blessed to find a job that that they love and that they've never ever wanted to do anything else and so God has really blessed me that way and he's he's blessed me to work with some of the most amazing people that have been on staff through community over the years people who just love God and and love each other and then this church I mean wow over 40 years there's been a lot of people at community and I have been so blessed and just I'm so grateful to be able to have served and loved along with you guys. So thank you. Now, before you're off the stage, I just want you all to realize what Rhonda has been through. Rhonda, tell me about the original bulletins that you would print for church. What did you have to use? Well, when I started, I used an electric typewriter and a, a printing press. There was no copiers and no computers. So that's dating myself, I know, but... <laughs> And then how did you cut things, like cut paper and programs? Um, we had a huge paper cutter. It was an industrial paper cutter, and it's in my basement right now. And so when we needed to cut things, we could cut stacks probably an inch, two inches thick. And, uh, it, yeah, it's still in my basement. It's a 1,000-pound guillotine is what it is. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what she used and, uh, to, to be able to do that, and very thankful. Uh, she's been through more changes uh, technology-wise and work-wise than you'll ever realize uh, being in the same job for that long. And Rhonda, we just love you. We want to uh, give you, this, this is not the only flowers that we're giving her, all right? Um, this represents the huge vase of flowers that we could not bring onto stage because somebody was going to trip and kill themselves. So this represents that. Rhonda, here is a check for a few thousand dollars to take a vacation, whatever you choose to do with that. This is from the staff and the elders. Um, this is a Rebecca picture. And um, it says, a godly woman who pours out her life for others is a vessel of honor. And we want you to have that. And we're going to keep it here so you don't have to break it as you go. 
because a broken vessel just isn't the same as a, as a full vessel. Mandy, thank you for, for having that up here. Uh, I tell you what, if we can just give Rhonda a standing ovation and a round of applause. Thank you. That's a retirement. That, that's incredible. I just, I, I really don't know what to do with that. Let me, let me ask you a question as we jump in to today's teaching. Who's the smartest person in this room or online? I know we were having some technical issues. Are we up and running online campus? No, 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 not yet. We'll get there because... She did exactly what I told her to do, so thank you, LaDonna. Um, the smartest person in this room, who is it? Not on stage, thank you very much. Ouch, ouch. I'm gonna say Rhonda because of her retirement. Watch this through the years of Rhonda being here. So who's the smartest person in the room? Rhonda. Yeah. We'll find out when she's bored to death here in a few weeks. But, you know, yeah, who's the smart? Who has the most education in this room? Who has the most common sense in the room? Who has the most life experience in the room? I don't know. Do you think it's you? Are you the smartest person here? Are you the smartest person in your family? Are you the smartest person in your friend group? How about this? Who's the best driver in this room? The, I, I'll, I'll let you know who it's not, all right? I've, I've got some of those people in mind. Who's the best driver? Do you think it's you? Are you better than everyone else? Your husband is the best. Yeah, we, we think, you know, and you can claim that. I'll put you up against Charlie Hines, our worship pastor. He's pretty good. Who's the best cook in the room? I mean, you're just good, you know, and you know that you're good. You go, I'm the best. I'm, I'm the best. I should be on top shelf. I'm going to win that thing. I'm the best, best cook. I, I tell you how to figure that out. Is it Skyline or Gold Star? How many Skyline people? How many Gold Star people? There's the door. Go ahead and go. It's fine. You, you know, that, that's pretty easy to figure that out. I mean, I mean, whenever you think all that out, here's where the problem come, comes in. The problem isn't when you think you're the best at something. The problem is when you think you're more right than everyone else. Now, let me say this before we go any further. I'm going to need your help today. I'm going to need you to track with me. I'm sorry if I step on your toes. Not sorry, kind of sorry, not really, but I'm going to step on your toes today. I need you to track with me because this is deep, this is heavy, this is intense, all right? The problem comes when you think you're more right than everyone else because you see everything and everyone as just a little bit messed up, as just a little worse than you are because we live in a world where there are so many important issues and in our minds, so many dumb people. That's how we think about it. There's a lot of important stuff going on, but there's a whole lot of dumb people giving their answers as to how to fix those important things in the world. 
Now, at least that's what we believe. And if we keep living by this motto, if we keep wanting to believe that I have all the answers, that I'm always right, then you're going to be in trouble come later in your life or maybe even right now. Now, I'm thankful at this point in my life. I am very thankful that I don't have the issues to everything going on around me. Not anymore. I had a stroke a month ago. I don't know anything. So I'm just holding on to that. I'm going to milk that for a long time, by the way. I just don't have any answers anymore. Unless you want to talk theology. Unless you want to talk about what you believe about God. What you believe about spiritual gifts. What you believe about about Scripture. I've got you covered on that. And yes, I can argue with you about it. And yes, I can debate you about it. And if you choose to disagree with me, I can tell you why you're wrong. And we can go down that path. But... Here's where we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to end up like the guy in Luke chapter 18. Now, Jesus is surrounded by some people, and just to put it bluntly, they were people that are a lot like us in our culture today. People that are always right. Do you know people like that? They're always right. They always have the right. Do you have a relative like that? sister-in-law, brother-in-law, cousin, uncle, you have somebody in your family like that, somebody in your friend group that is always right, and they make sure you know that they're always right about everything, and their goal above everything else is what? Just to be right. They know the way, they behave the right way, they act the right way, they think the right way, they think they're smarter than you and everyone else around you, they think they're better They think they're holier than everyone else. Those are the guys that Jesus is dealing with here. In Luke chapter 18, it says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two men went to the temple that day to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. What does that mean? You know what a Pharisee is? It's this outwardly righteous person. They dressed the right way. They prayed loud, long prayers in public. They followed all 613 laws that were in the Jewish tradition. We have 10, the Ten Commandments. They had 613 laws. And and, and you look at those and you go, Okay, you've got this outwardly righteous person, and then you have the tax collector who's hated because of his lifestyle, who's hated because he cheated people, who's hated because he believed in the wrong political party, basically, is what it is. So one guy that's righteous, one guy that's unrighteous. Verse 11, the Pharisee, the righteous one, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, the robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he gave his spiritual resume. I mean, look at me, God. Look, I, I, I give 10% 
of everything that I've got. I fast twice a week. Look at how holy I am. Look at how special I am. I'm righteous. Look what I do for you. And then verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and cried out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the humble one, the tax collector, the unrighteous one, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. exalted." What's so interesting is that the Pharisee saw himself as right. And he was looking down on the tax collector that he saw as wrong. But to Jesus, it wasn't just about right and wrong. It was more than that. It was about attitude. It was about being humble. Because proud people do not love well. Have you noticed that? When you're right about everything, nobody's coming to you to say, oh, can you... Can you just listen to me? Can I, can I pour out my heart to you? Because when you're proud, when you're right all the time, nobody expects you to be loving because you're not. Look at the person next to you, around you, in front of you, behind you. Are they the tax collector or the Pharisee? Now be careful if it's your spouse. All right? Be careful. Maybe you don't even say it to them. Tax collector or Pharisee, which one are you personally? Are you the tax collector or are you a Pharisee? It's complicated to live today. It's so tense. I mean, there are a lot of issues. Last week we showed that Super Bowl commercial about all the clashing going on between different belief systems and different people. And you know, that's just life today. You know, everybody against everyone, or if you're on my side, you're okay. If you're not on my side, you're not okay. And you get offended. That's why we're in this series called No Offense, because everybody around us is offended. This is a big issue, because a lot of us like to think we're right. Do you realize all the tension that causes? You're going, yeah, but I'm right. That's all that matters. And because I'm right, I'm okay being right. Now, again, somebody else can think they're right, and they're on the complete opposite side of you, and you think you're right, and you're on the complete opposite side of them, and what happens? You're clashing. You're angry. You're upset. You're upset. And unfortunately, as Christians, we get sucked into our own righteous, our own rightness, and our own spiritual pride, just like the Pharisees did, just like the Pharisees. Christ followers, all of us, we tend to think that part of our job as a Christian is to be right. And because we're right, everybody else is wrong. We're supposed to be right, aren't we? I mean, we preach the truth, and because we preach the truth, we're right, which is partially true, but not completely. Because we're right, sometimes we get offended by the people that are wrong. And we can find ourselves being offended by anything that they do, by anything that they say that we consider isn't right. We're offended by what they post on social media. You offended by any of that? A lot of us are. You offended by how somebody votes? Elections are coming up. It's going to get heated and ugly again. Are you offended because somebody's a Republican or somebody's a Democrat and how they vote? Probably because they're not right. I'm right. Because I'm right, everybody else is wrong. And if you don't believe like I do, I'm offended at that. 
I'm offended. And if we live offended long enough, those offenses start to change us. Have you noticed? They start to change who you are. They start to change how you act, how you think, what you do. And when the offense simmers long enough, and when it grows deep enough inside of you, it grows from an offense to a contempt. To where now you're not just offended at somebody else, but man, you're, they're just, they, they make you upset and angry, and you boil at them. And instead of hating what somebody does, we start to hate who they are. You're going, Scott, come on, that's not true. I don't hate anybody. I just hate people that are wrong. Really? You get to the point where you just hate people. Because they're not like you. Because they look different, differently than you. They believe differently than you. They act differently than you. And because of that, you start to hate who they are. And we think that we have the authority as Christ followers to condemn them. Because we're right. Let me just say this, and I hope I step on your toes because I'm stepping on my toes. Condemning people is not our job. As Christians, it's not our job. Loving people is our job. That's what Scripture tells us. God the Father, God the Spirit, they're the ones who get to judge. We just have to love people into the kingdom of God. Because when we judge, we're not God, we're not the Spirit, we can't do that. We need to be careful. And suddenly, most of us have not figured that out yet. Just look at society. We're still trying to judge what and who is right and wrong. And that's not our role. That's why we're in such a mess. Is because we're trying to judge people. Now, as part of a conversation I had this week with some other pastors and some other people, they were just condemning all these churches that are out there. And I thought it was interesting. I didn't put my two cents in. I just listened. They, they were condemning churches like Joel Osteen and, and his church. They were condemning churches like Willow Creek in Chicago and their church. They were condemning a church here in Cincinnati um, for, for who they are and what they do. Saying things like, oh, that church is just too shallow. Yeah, I mean, just too shallow. They don't do things the right way. They're not focused on, on what they're supposed to be focused on. That church, they just pay way too much money. And their pastor makes, he, he shouldn't make that kind of money. He, he should be giving it all away to the poor. I'm going, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting debate. But we're judging the churches, these guys were, from what they knew on the outside of them. My church is right because we preach the, the unadulterated biblical truth of God, just like Jesus did. Well, Jesus didn't actually do that. Jesus spoke of love and compassion and healing to the people around him. That's what Jesus did. Here's the deal. We have no idea how many lives have been transformed, changed, and altered by those ministries that we're condemning. No idea. You have no idea the power of God that he's working through these churches to create disciples, to make a difference-making culture from those people because of what those churches that we condemn are doing. No idea. But yet we're looking down on them because they're different than how you are and they're different than how you believe and they're not doing the things that you think they should do in the way that you think they should do them. And by doing that, we're only destroying ourselves 
we're right. And our way of doing things is right. And anyone else who doesn't do it our way has to be wrong. Guess what that's called? Being a Pharisee. Are you a Pharisee or the tax collector? You have to ask yourself the question. This Pharisee was right and he knew it. So he tells everyone else how right he is. And he looks down on everybody that was wrong. And we, again, we do the same thing. I've got the right, right approach to take COVID, for example. I lost so many friends over this COVID issue. I've got the real source. I know what it's really about. I know how to really treat it. I know about the vaccine. I know that you should or should not take that. And because of that, you're wrong and I'm right. And you couldn't even have a conversation about it. It's called being a Pharisee. Because honestly, you don't know. I can't believe they spend their money like that. I know how people should spend their money. I can't believe the church spends its money on that. They should give everything they have to just, just serving one family. That's what they should do. Okay? That's your view? Is that everyone's view? Is that the right view? Or is it just a view that you want to get judgmental about? We become the judges. Here's the truth. Write this down. Hold on to this. Here's the truth. Look at everyone in this room. Online campus, look at anybody that may be around you. Look at me. Here's the deal. Every single one of us are sinners. Every single one of us. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person that will watch this online that has not let God down, has not sinned, has not done something that's outrageously wrong in the eyes of God. Every single one of us are sinners. Every one of us. The only person that was not sinful was Jesus. And he's the only one that didn't condemn people. But Jesus was the only perfect person. And even if we're right, and even if our approach is, is off kilter, but even if we're right, our approach can take away the power of being right and make what we're thinking and believing wrong. What if you're right but you're not loving? You're looking at people around you and you're judging them. What if you're right but you're not loving? What's that do? What if you're right but you're incredibly rude and you're a jerk to everybody around you that's doing something, living in a lifestyle, something that you don't believe is right or is accurate, and you're incredibly rude? What you're doing is you're making your point, but you're not really making a difference. You're making a point. Nobody's going to listen to your point. It's like you can take a big black Bible, stand on the street, street corner, and condemn everybody, say, Jesus is coming back. You better be ready because he's coming back soon. And that's true. And then you start condemning everyone and everything around you. Nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to walk right on by. You're making your point but you're not making a difference. So what if you're right and you're not loving? Jesus wasn't concerned about just being right. He was concerned about our attitudes. He was concerned about how we dealt with the people around us. Now, we made a choice when we started Community Church that there wasn't going to be any pastor pedestals in this church. 
What that means is sometimes people put pastors up on a pedestal, and then whenever they do something wrong, oh, they come crashing down, and, and oh, I can't believe it. You know, listen, there were no pastor pedestals here. I'm not better than any of you. None of our staff are better than any of you. Every single one of our staff have sinned. We've fallen down. We've fallen short. We've got all kinds of issues in our lives. But what we decided to do here at Community was, if one of us sins, falls down, stumbles, trips up, that we expect you to reach out your hands and pick us up and get us back on our feet moving forward for the kingdom of Jesus. And that works the other way too. When you fail, when you fall down, when you sin, which every single one of us have, we're going to reach out our hands to you and try to find a way to pick you back up and try to find a way to help you get back on the right track. That, that's how it should work because none of us are perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus. And what's incredible about Jesus is even though he's sinless, get this, he is a magnet for the sinful people around him. How does that work? Here's this religious guy. He's sinless. He's walking around, and people that are sinful, I mean, just doing the things that we consider the worst of the worst type sins, they're drawn to this guy. How does that even work? I mean, you read about Jesus' life and and the places that he went and the people that he hung out with. I'd lose my job for doing some of those things. Yet Jesus just was very comfortable at the wild parties that he was a part of, at the incredible wedding feast that he was a part of, at hanging out with the worst of the worst. I mean, there's a prostitute that was so blown away by the love and grace of Jesus that she brought her life savings, her retirement, everything she had in this jar of of expensive perfume, and she anointed Jesus with it. That's pretty spectacular. You see Jesus going to this tax collector's house. It's a guy that's hated. I mean, he's absolutely hated. He would have stolen, he stole from his own people. He gave the money to the Roman government. And Jesus comes over to this guy's house for dinner. And he's very comfortable in the crowd that's there. All people that you might not even talk to or sit by. Because of how bad they are. There was a woman who couldn't seem to hold a relationship together. She went from bed to bed to bed, from man to man to man, and Jesus spent time with her, and he gave her living water when no one else would even give her the time of day. Why do you think that sinful, broken people wanted to be around Jesus? It's because they felt loved around Jesus. They felt his love. They felt his heart. They felt the fact that they were heard around Jesus. In John 13, just to show how Jesus loved, Jesus, it says this, 13.1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And how did he love them to the end? They're sitting around in this upper room, the final meal they're going to have together. And Jesus gets up, and he puts on this servant's apron, and he takes water and a rag, and he starts washing the feet of the disciples. Now, understand this. Feet are nasty to me to begin with. No thank you. 
I don't want to touch them. I don't want to massage them. I don't want them on my body in any way. And my wife has a special recipe for making her feet really soft, which I'm not going to share with you. It's pretty gross, too. I don't want to touch them. Jesus. And you, these guys, they didn't have transportation other than walking. That's how they go everywhere. Just dirt, stone roads, just nasty feet. And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees with a bowl of water and a towel, and he starts washing their feet. That's love from a leader that understands his leadership isn't about him. It's about the love that he has for everyone. That's how he loved and served them. John 13, 33 says this, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How are they going to know that you believe in Jesus? How are they going to know that you follow him? How are they going to know that you're one of his disciples? It's not because of what you're against. It's not because you're a Republican or a Democrat and how you vote. It's not because of what you post on social media. They'll know that we belong to Jesus by the way that we love the people around us. The people that are like us and not like us. They'll know that you're his disciple by the way that you love. So why don't we love others the way that Jesus loves us? Why don't we do that? Because we're too busy being right. We're too busy saying this is the only way you can live and this is the only rule that you can have and these are the only ways that you can express that and we're too busy being right and judging people instead of being loving. Jesus was concerned with right and wrong. That's important to him, but he was also concerned about our attitudes, how we act, how we react because when we start with this I'm right attitude, negative things happen. Because when we think that we're right all the time, we think that we're a little bit morally superior and everybody else is wrong. And then when you think that you're morally superior, it's really easy to be judgmental because no one else is living the way they should. They're different, they're wrong, and I'm superior and I'm judgmental. And then you can become easily offended when somebody's living differently than what you think they should be doing. That's exactly the opposite of how Jesus lived. The exact opposite of how Jesus lived. Think about it. Jesus was the most right person, the most right person, and the least judgmental person that ever lived. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the woman who was caught in adultery. They brought her into the middle of the town and all these Pharisees, which is who those men were, the religious leaders were standing around her going, we need to kill her, we need to stone her to death, we've got to take care of that now, Jesus, what do you think? Well, first of all, the Pharisees were right. That was the law. If you were caught in the act of adultery, death was the punishment for that. So they were right, the woman was wrong. Jesus, what do you think about this? What should we do to this woman? And again, Jesus got down on the ground and started writing something in the sand. And one by one, all those guys got up and left. And he looks at this woman and he says, woman, stand up, look around you. Where are the people that were condemning you? 
He said, they're not here. I said, that's right. He says, I don't condemn you either. Now, what did he tell her to do from there? Go and sin no more. Live your life with a purpose. Does that mean she didn't sin anymore? No, she continued to sin because that's who we are as humans. But Jesus loved her and he heard her and he listened to her and he provided a hope for her. So think about it. Never sinned. The only one who had never sinned. The only one that had a right to judge her, but he didn't judge her. What would you have done? What did you do this week? What did you do last week? Who have you condemned because of how they're living or who they are? Now, you might be right, and I pray that we are right, but guess what? Being right without love is nothing. Because Jesus says if we want to be one of his disciples, we have to love. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray this morning that we know that we have to love people. God, I pray that we know that, 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 that to be yours, yes, we need to know the truth, but more importantly than just the truth is we need to express that in a way that shows compassion and dignity and love. I just want to close with this scripture verse. If we speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Help us to love. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.